You are listening to Making It in the Toy Industry, episode number 166. Welcome to Making It in the Toy Industry, a podcast for inventors and entrepreneurs like you. And now your host, Ajel Wade. Hey there, toy people, Ajel Wade here, and welcome back to another episode of the Toy Coach Podcast, Making It in the Toy Industry. This is a weekly podcast brought to you by thetoycoach.com. Today's guest's name is April. She's a mom of two and former teacher based in Honolulu, Hawaii. In 2019, she launched a brand called Kiki Cow Cow, which means kid food, after realizing there were virtually no toys available that reflected the unique beauty and diversity of Hawaii. Since then, her collection has grown to include over 30 original toys, books, and games, many of them designed in collaboration with local artists from Hawaii. Now, I met April about two years ago when she first booked a consultation call with me and when she told me what her company was and I went on her website, I loved it, loved the design, but I thought, how is someone making a business out of something so niche? And that's what she's here on the podcast to talk to us about today. So April, welcome to the show. Hey, Michelle. So good to be here. Really great to have you here. I'm so excited to have you share your story of building Cakey Cow Cow. And I would love to start off just with, have you always worked in the toy industry? Oh, definitely not at all. I like was one of those people who bounced around for years after college, like just figuring stuff out. And then I ended up teaching for five years. And it's only when I took a break and had my two kids that, you know, I started getting into toys as they were. And the idea came to me. So I'm definitely an accidental entrepreneur, accidental toy person. So let's talk about how that idea came to you, because many people are inspired by their own kids or kids they work Mm -hmm. with. So how'd that idea come about? Yeah, so so I grew up in Hawaii, which is, you know, a very unique place. Culturally, there's this sort of, it's a sort of melting pot of Pacific Rim cultures, Asian American Pacific Islander, in addition to having, you know, the, the natural beauty that we're well known for. And so when my kids were growing up, I guess I had, my son was what, three, and then my little one was a baby. My toddler was really into play food toys, right? You know, it's a classic toy especially this little wooden pretend food, especially toddlers, like they're learning to socialize, they're learning language, these sort of everyday interactions and play food is just such a great facilitator facilitator for that. And then I thought, you know, here in Hawaii, we have these special foods that we love and cherish. I don't know if you'd even be familiar with this stuff, but so the fruits, obviously, but also shave ice, which is like a, Mm -hmm. I think you call it a snow cone in your part. Yes, I know the snow cone. (laughs) Yes, the musubi, which is probably less familiar. It is a, a spam sushi. Ooh, which spam might, sushi. Yes, doesn't sound the most delectable, but don't knock it till you try it. Anyway, we have all the, and then additionally, we have, you know, great Chinese food, Filipino food, Korean food brought in by these waves of immigrants that kind of settled here in this very multicultural place. So anyway, I thought, why don't we have some food toys that reflect the foods that we're actually surrounded by and growing up with? And so, you know, I never would have thought I would be someone who would do business or manufacturing or or anything like that. But I had a few classmates from my high school that I saw had started businesses. And it's kind of like, you know, when once something comes a little closer to you, you can start seeing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, huh, if that person could do this, like maybe it's not so impossible or out of reach. 
And so I talked to a couple friends kind of briefly about what their process was in, in setting up a business and finding a manufacturer. And so I just kind of set off down that path. I never really intended to build a brand or a company. I just had that one thing in mind, right? What was the one this- thing? The, the play food set, right? A okay. little pretend wooden play food set of, of a few popular Hawaii things. But it, you know, the reaction was really positive. Local people here, they were excited to see something that they felt reflected their culture. And, you know, as you said, we're a tiny, tiny state that a lot of people, you know, some people are like, oh, is Hawaii a state? Is it the <laughs> Some people write off. But at the same time, in pre-COVID times, at least, we have tens of thousands of tourists coming in every single day. So there's this revolving door of people who are visiting, who are experiencing local culture and excited to be here, and who ultimately are a customer base, right, for Hawaii-inspired or themed products. So even though we're tiny, we do have this sort of constant influx of, of people. Are, are you born and raised in Hawaii? So I was born in California. My parents oh, okay. had met in Hawaii. My my mom was from Hong Kong, my dad from Los Angeles. So they met in college there, ended up briefly going back to California, and then we moved back here. So how many years have you been there? Oh, gosh, I'm not the greatest at math. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the years that I was away because I did go away for college. Okay. On the East Coast, I bounced around. I was a nanny in France for two years. <laughs> I lived in China for a year with my husband. So I, I don't know, 20 to 30 20 to 30 years in Hawaii. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I'm trying to get the picture of how culturally ingrained you are, right? So that's where, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an interesting question because there are a lot of like layers and sensitivities around culture here, to be honest, and probably considered like marginally local because I, I don't go generations back, right? Whereas, you know, I'm not native Hawaiian. And then even within other local populations, there are people who came here to work on plantations, you know, several oh. generations back. And so, you know, there are a lot of different layers of sort of identity here. So the, the next question I have for you is, as you decided to build this kit of particular Hawaii foods, like a mm-hmm. toy kit that you didn't see anywhere, you said it was received really well, but by whom? Like, how did you start telling so, people about it? Yeah, at, at first it was very local. And although, again, it's a small market, but the upside of that is that it's a community where it travels fast, right. where if you get into, you know, a few local boutiques, you know, and I... I just walked into a few stores and said, I have this product. Like, would you be interested in selling it? I had no idea how any of that. I didn't have a line sheet. I didn't, you know. Wait, no, tell us about what you did though. So you, did you take your first sample or not your first, probably your 10th sample from a China factory Mm -hmm. and, and walked in there with it and said, I have this cool thing. Here's why I made it. Would you buy it? Tell us about that experience. Yeah. So I think I'm trying to remember if I waited till I had the product on the ground or not. Right. So I ordered the minimum order quantity, which was a, a thousand, units. Wow. Before you had any orders? Before I had any orders. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I didn't want to like take orders and not have something ready. And I set up a Shopify website. I'm not sure who gave me the tip to do that, but I'm still on Shopify. So I'm glad <laughs> I did. And I think I, I started like an Instagram and I like I like maybe teased it out a week or two in advance with uh-huh. some, you know, phone photos I took in my living room. And then just, you know, friends shared and being the age that I am, a lot of my friends are moms and who have other mom uh-huh. friends. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I think the first 
batch of orders was just through the website direct to consumer, right? But then I, you know, I walked into a couple kids stores and I think I had the sample, maybe like a sheet with some contact information. And I just asked, you know, would you be interested in selling this? And I had, I had no expectations for them. I didn't say like, you need to buy this many units or whatever. I was just like, kind of like tentative about even approaching them. But, you know, a lot of the, especially small independent boutiques, they're super easy to work with. They're like, oh, sure. Yeah. Like I'll take 10, like let's do it. Drop them off tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. It's not like, you know, knocking on the door of Toys R Us or whatever. And with some big corporate process. Do you Um, remember the name of the first boutique that carried your product? Oh gosh, there's one on the North Shore of Hawaii call, or of Oahu called The Growing Keiki. Mm-hmm. This is one of our customers. There's one. Actually, I remember the first store said she would take it. It was like another local boutique. And then she turned around a week later and she was like, actually, we're going to be doing some of our own kids products. So I don't think we should carry yours. And I was so disappointed. No. But it worked out. They're Did she end up carrying it? Anymore. Oh, okay. They, they released some other things, but... Yeah. So, I mean, because Hawaii is such a small community and fortunately Instagram is, you know, a free, very useful tool for for gaining some publicity and making connections. It was a sort of thing where once I got into a few stores, other people would just reach out and contact me. And that's still happening. I don't have a sales rep. I don't have really much time to do sales outreach, but because, you know, it's such a small place, people know what's going on and hear about things. Do you have an idea of how many stores there are in Hawaii available to you to get your product into? So I'd say we're probably in, I want to say about 50 stores now. Oh, oh, okay. 50 stores. 50, yeah. Individual stores. A number of those were, we picked up in the last year as the tourism industry kind of rebounded. Right. So hotel boutiques that would reach out, but you know, we're in the local Nordstrom store, the airports, and then a lot of just smaller Tend, tend to be kind of slightly higher end boutiques because the price point is pretty high. I remember you were kind of shocked. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, You're charging what? Great segue. Because, yeah, I remember the first time I went on your website, I was like, Wow, this is gorgeous. This is beautiful. And then I saw the price point and I was like, Oh my gosh, yeah. who is purchasing this stuff? Yeah. Now, let's say when you sell products online, there have been plenty of reports done on how people will spend more money online than they will in person. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I've that. Yeah. People know. will spend more money online than they will in person. Often you'll see it with Amazon products. I've heard mm. my family and friends specifically saying, yeah, I went and bought mm. this thing off Amazon. And now I'm realizing in a store, it would have been cheaper. There seems to be assumption that Amazon like has the cheapest. Well, right? they, I They're think really- they did. Like that was how yeah. they gained market share, but they don't yeah. have to do that anymore because now right. they're selling convenience, right? Right, right, right. Anyway. Neither here nor there. And yeah. and now when I look at your site, I'm like, yeah, it's a little expensive, but thanks to inflation, it's kind of right? <laughs> it's kind of like, well, this is kind of reasonable, actually. I know. I paid like eight dollars for a smoothie the other day. I was like, oh, yeah. like, I guess I feel like kind of normal now. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But, I mean, Everyone in Hawaii is used to paying a lot for everything because, because everything's everything important. needs to be shipped in and yeah, and space is limited and rent is high and it's expensive. 
expensive. So I know that one of your biggest struggles at, at one point, I don't know if it's still a struggle now was the shipping of your product, especially when mm-hmm. you wanted to get it into, into the U S you wanted to mm-hmm. sell into the U S actually even selling in Hawaii. Cause didn't you say you're shipping from China to Hawaii to sell? And then if you want to sell to the U S it's China to Hawaii to the U S. Yeah. And it's not only that, there's some like obscure law that requires shipping containers to to pass through the continental US before they come to Hawaii. So stuff is going and and it takes me, it'll take me like three months to receive something from when it's sent out. It'll go through like Long Beach or something and then it'll Uh come here and then it'll sit at the port like waiting for customs checks or whatever they do. And then, right, if I'm reselling to the mainland US, then it's getting shipped out again. (laughs) So it's very inefficient. It eats up the cost. It's not environmentally friendly. So I am trying one thing to get around that. So I had a small batch of product routed to a a 3PL fulfillment center in Michigan, I want to (laughs) say. My continental geography is not strong. And so they've been helping me with some of the mainland orders, getting those out a little bit more directly. So they're doing like the QA checks for you, the resorting, the packing, so you don't have to do all of that. Yeah. So since it's a sort of first test run, I did a small batch. It's just two pallets worth. Okay. It's not my whole product assortment. And I'm only having them do wholesale orders. So okay. Mostly orders that come through fair or a couple other places. So I've been lucky that they're willing to work with me being so small and not very profitable for them at the moment. But it's sort of, I kind of just wanted to go through the motions to see what that would look like, see what the interest was and, you know, what costs end up adding up to be. It can be hard to gauge how much it actually costs, right? Until you do it. So yeah, I'm testing that out. I want to, I want to like like go back into how you are making, because you're still building this niche Mm -hmm. brand, a success. So you Mm -hmm. did say that you noticed when you first launched the community so small, it's kind of building upon itself. Mm -hmm. But do you, I mean, I guess you, you did say you have 10,000 tourists, you know, during a normal year, you said per, per day, day, per day. I think it was higher than that pre pandemic. And this is as much as you feel comfortable sharing, but like Mm -hmm. what level of sales do boutiques see for products like yours? Like, how is this feasible? Say you're only in 50 stores, right? Mm -hmm. And you have, I want to say like 30 plus products. I mean, it, some of those, sometimes I'll get a batch of a thousand and Mm -hmm. it'll take me more than a year to get through it. Okay. So my top sellers, you know, I might going through a few batches of a thousand, but other things, you know, and the, and the company is still so early that a lot of products I'm on their first run and I probably won't reorder because they just move too slowly. My storage space is limited, you know, like just kind of sort of need to trim things down a little bit. I mean, the fun part for me of this whole experience is really the designing. I really enjoy the product development, the creative side, I'm sure Mm -hmm. you know. And so I like (laughs) coming up with ideas, but then, you know, if they, if they don't work well in the market, then I'll probably phase them out. Where do you make a a bulk of your sales? So say your top seller, which one is your top seller? Your, so the the original play food set is probably still the top seller. Um, This one that I'm wearing right now, this is like a little wooden, lay bead set. My son put this together yesterday, but basically sort of a toddler thing for them to thread together, make their Mm -hmm. own little lay. The books sell pretty well, but aren't very profitable. What else? So the question here is if, so let's look at looking at your wooden play food sets, your top seller online. Mm -hmm. 
what does it do in store for you? Is it still a top seller in store? And where do you sell mm-hmm. more online or in store? Uh, I should know more uh, of that analytics sort April. of stuff. But I, honestly, I, you know, it, if it's just you, you're just like getting through all this stuff that needs to be getting, done each day. It's still a consistent sell. I mean, keep, people keep having babies. A lot of stuff gets, you know, maybe people want to gift something to their friends who right. live elsewhere in the U.S., but they want it to feel special to Hawaii. Or maybe people visited in the past and have a special memory. A lot of our products are actually more Asian themed generally. So we have right. a, a wooden food puzzle collection and they have, mm-hmm. we have like a dim sum, a bento, Filipino cuisine, Korean cuisine. And so those are, you know, people ordering from all across the U.S. who maybe identify with mm-hmm. some of those cultures. So it's not necessarily just Hawaii specific. It's also people who are kind of hungry for something reflective of their culture. So your website does also ship into the continental U.S.? Mm-hmm. So they're pr- paying for that shipping coming back. <laughs> I'm usually paying for the shipping. So there, I, I, I can't charge people what it actually costs to ship. Mm-hmm. I mean, a flat rate envelope is like $9 now, wow. right? I regularly have packages that are like 20 to $30 in shipping. So usually I'm either supplementing a big chunk or, or all of that cost. Wow. You got to check. Yeah. Do you use pirate ship to ship? I use Shippo right now. I okay. have some good rates with UPS. I have a call with FedEx schedule to see if they can help me out. But it's definitely definitely a, a sore point. Oof. I mean, I don't know if Pirate Ship would help you being in Hawaii, but mm-hmm. I've I've used a lot and it is the cheapest by far. Yeah, and it's and I found out about it because on forums for small entrepreneurs, they uh-huh. people talk about pirate ship often, specifically people mm-hmm. who use Etsy and Shopify talk okay. about it being like they have exclusive rates apparently, but they also pull mm-hmm. rates from multiple sources. So like USPS, mm-hmm. which you might, but FedEx and, and when I used it, it was where normally I went to stamps.com and I was paying, I don't know, like every, whenever I have my class, I ship out a bunch of like toy creators, Academy books. So mm-hmm. it would cost me like $300 to ship these books and I'm shipping them to different countries, <laughs> different states. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a really long process on stamps.com. Mm-hmm. Like you have to file mm-hmm. the country separately from the states. It's like a whole thing. But on Pirate Ship, I was just able to put in all the information and it separates the in-state, in-country versus out-of-country. It creates mm-hmm. the two separate labels, like the customs form and the non-customs form. Mm-hmm. And it gave me the best rate. And instead of each oh, one wow. costing me like $10 a piece, it was like $5. And mm-hmm. I was like, why Which have I been wasting up. my money on stamps? Yeah. <laughs> no, and, I mean, yeah. And they don't there charge you a, a consultant, fee. A shipping consultant. They, and they don't charge a fee? Yeah, they don't charge like, because oh, wow. stamps.com was a $17 a month fee mm-hmm. just to yeah, have the account. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't have mm-hmm. a, you know, I don't know why, what data they're yeah. buying of mine, but like, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So I, I tried ShipStation and I honestly found the interface to be like so overwhelming. Oh, Pirate Ship um, is so easy. It is designed okay, beautifully, okay. like literally four clicks and you're shipping. It's amazing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm sold. I'll check it out. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Try one package. Okay. So I guess I want to dive into like, uh, how are you getting traffic to your site? Like, how are people finding out about you? You know what? And to be very transparent, like through most of the year, website traffic, it's a trickle. Like I I have a handful of orders a day Mm -hmm. until 
the fourth quarter, unless I have a new product or a big sale, you know, things are, it's just sort of a trickle and it's really become more of a wholesale business, you know, more about just getting in front of new eyeballs out in stores and having people discover the product that way. So, you know, I have about 14,000 Instagram followers, although I don't feel like I'm getting that much visibility on posts lately. Q4 is terrible yeah. for Instagram. It is the worst. So just- Is it because yeah. everybody's paying to- Yeah, Q4 is huge for ads, but I don't know if yeah. it's just the ads, but I've realized this year and last year, Q4 has always been awful. I'm like, why yeah. do I even bother posting? Like, <laughs> like Q4 is terrible. Yeah. It's not you. Or you have to be so committed in engaging and creating, you know, content that people want to see. And I yeah. don't have the energy for that. Yeah. So, so yeah. And then I have an email list. I don't know. I can't add it. Maybe five, five or 6,000 people. Oh, again, that's great. I don't, how, I don't know how many of those are like real people answering their email. What email but... service provider do you use? I use the Shopify email. Oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I don't, I don't send a lot of emails. I oh, mean, you don't? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't like to... And, you know, I, I totally know from a business perspective, like, if I, like, ramped up my marketing, like, I'm sure I would make more sales because I see people doing it at a much more aggressive and professional level. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm just, like, not into trying to convince people to buy stuff. Until you got to hire someone to do it for you. I know. I know. I should hire someone who's like passionate about yeah. sending marketing emails. Yeah. I love sending marketing emails. I'm sure you know because you get mine. <laughs> yeah. But yours are very personal and they, you always have something to say. Well. And yours can be too. I mean, the thing is, honestly, I wish I knew what I know now when I had my costume company and I was doing it full time mm -hmm. because I used to struggle so hard trying to market. And I think it's just because you create the product. You, it's hard to market a product that you've mm -hmm. made, right? But for me, as someone on the outside, like I see like so many posts, like from your one listing of a Kiki Cow Cow book, it's Cow Cow time. Like, you know, there could mm -hmm. be so many stories. Like I want to know like where mm -hmm. the story came from, your product description could turn into like mm -hmm. an email. Like there's so many opportunities. Right. You can um, build out content from anything. Not very much. <laughs> and you already yeah. know your, it's, it's important that you know your customer, like you know what they actually want it. Like the fact that you think that yeah. my emails are personable and like interesting means that I'm doing right by you. So you need mm -hmm. to make sure your, whatever you create is right mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. the moms that want to read mm -hmm. what you would have to say about your brand. But I mm -hmm. do know last time we talked, you told me about, you said there's a lot of Asian influence in mm -hmm. your brand. And you said that was because of all of the different cultures that make up Hawaii. So can you give us mm -hmm. like a little bit of a history lesson why there's <laughs> so much like co-mingling of like food, Filipino foods and like, right? There's yeah, a lot. So, Vietnamese, um, Japanese, like there's a lot going on in here. <laughs> yeah, I think it is like there are some statistics that talk about it as the most multicultural state. Really? Um, yeah, and there are a lot of people like me who are considered hapa or multiracial. Hapa? Yeah, that's the word Hapa. we use. Oh. Yeah. My mom in college actually wrote her thesis on like mixed marriages or something, which is back in the 70s. Wow. But so anyway, Hawaii was sprouted up out of nowhere <laughs> from volcanoes, was discovered by Polynesian voyagers in, you know, if you've seen Moana, you kind of know, you know, they found their way across the vast Pacific Ocean and started a civilization here. And they have their own rich culture and cuisine based on, you know, the foods that they brought with them, the things that grew here. In the last two centuries about, you know, it was 
been discovered by the West. The history is kind of complicated, but a lot of people came over as missionaries, right, from England or America. Those missionary families became business people. And they said, oh, there's all this fertile land. Like, let's use it for something. Let's grow stuff and make money. Um, And so there were pineapple plantations, sugar plantations. And to find workers for those plantations, they brought in people from the Philippines, from Japan, Mm -hmm. basically poor migrant labor. And so those people, you know, at some point got a foothold and and some of them, you know, became business people and leaders. And it it became this very intermingled society that that is kind of the melting pot that we have today. So that's where the unique foods that you were mentioning kind of come from, the combination of all these different cultures? Yeah, there's just all these different, you know, and just geographically, right? We're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And so it's sort of a landing pad for people coming from Asia to America and and vice versa. And it's just kind of become this fertile area for for these cultures to mix. So talk to me about some of your most like Hawaiian sets that you have, (laughs) like which ones would you say are like the most culturally specific? So the Hawaiian food, so Lao Lao, and I don't have the toy in front of me. I'm looking at your um... site. Actually, hold on. We can bring it up (laughs) one moment. Let's let's bring it it up. So yeah, if you look at the more Kiki Kau Kau play food set, and that was just building on the first one, that little green bundle there that's representing Lao Lao, which is a, a Hawaiian dish. There you go. Wrapped in tea leaves, but inside they use the leaves of the taro plant, which is the staple food for the Hawaiian people. Usually you have some pork and fish in there as well. There next to it, you can see like Simon, which is our sort of local version of like a ramen or noodle soup. On oh, the this left. right here. Okay. Yeah. So that like sort of trades out with that other little disc in the bowl. And the manapu- manapua is that bun, little bun mm-hmm. there. If you open it, it has like a, usually it's like a sort of a sweet pork. It's sort of like a Chinese. I do know or... like a pork bun, like a sweet pork. Not yeah. Pork bun, like a sweet bean bun, red bean bun. So there, yeah, there are a lot of variations. The, oh, okay. the most common one is like a steamed or baked, like a rice flour bun. So anyway, there are all these flavors kind of coming together to create these local dishes. Awesome. Not the healthiest food items, I have to say. We eat a lot of like meat and starch here, <laughs> but also, you know, fresh food. And So what was like, what is your most favorite item that you designed? I really like the lay beads because of the interactivity, you know, kids, little kids take pride in sort of putting it together and they represent flowers that are actually commonly used in lay here. So plumeria mm. and orchids and crown flower. I, I really love the process of working with artists too. So we have a board game, for example, the Aloha Land board game, which is similar in gameplay to like a Candyland or a Shoots and Ladders type of game. Oh, uh, here, Aloha Land. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I should get better photographs that kind of show the actual game. But I just loved working with the illustrator who's from here. And she just did a great job of capturing little elements of the landscape and of local culture. So I love it. And what do parents or I wouldn't say the parents, but people that buy your product, I'm sure they give you feedback. Good, hopefully, but like they love it. What do they (laughs) say they love about your product? I think it's just the, you know, like you started out talking about what a niche market it seems to be. I think it is that people like to feel seen and recognized and like that they're where they come from is valued. And, you know, it doesn't feel like generic, like going down to Walmart and getting a, a toy off the shelves there. It feels a little bit more personal to the things that we grew up with and are surrounded by. 
And what is your dream for Kiki Cow Cow? What would you like to have happen oh, gosh. with this brand? Well, first of all, every other day I like tell my husband I'm going to quit. <laughs> Why? It's just, I mean, you know, entrepreneur life, it's hard. It's a lot. Everything comes back to you. And there are parts that are really fun. I mean, lately, it's just that a lot of the aspects of running a business have overwhelmed me and they're like, not the fun things, right? It's like, I feel like I'm like making boxes and like creating spreadsheets and paying taxes and, you know, renewing my insurance and just like all this stuff that's like no fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Very expensive like, and no fun. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of lonely too. Like that's something that I almost forget how much that has impacted me. But mm-hmm. once in a while I'll like have a, a reason to socialize with people and I'm like, oh, I forgot this is, this is what it was like to have a workplace. Same. Where... Yeah. Like as a teacher, I used to dread going back to school in the fall, but those first couple of days I would see all these familiar faces and it's like, you get, I at least got, you know, kind of recharged by having that interaction. And now it's very isolating and it's hard to measure your success because you're just kind of doing it on your own. So yeah, I'm ups and downs for sure. No, I I totally understand that and agree. It's almost like hiring someone for your business would be beneficial for you in emotional ways. Like, come come be my friend. Yeah, (laughs) it's hard though. Like we forget, I don't know, I guess creatives sometimes think like, I just want to be alone so I can create. Yeah, And that's true. And there's a time for that. Yeah. But but when you're alone all the time, you're just like, where Uh (laughs) are all the people? Right. Like somebody bring news of the outside world. Yeah. That is. How do you stay up to date when you are alone all the time and you are focused? Like, how do you come up with ideas for your toy brand if you aren't like out in the world seeing things and hanging out? How do you do it? How do I do it? Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I'm sort of bummed out this Christmas because I don't have anything new. I don't have like new products to launch. And I'm like, only starting sort of coming around to the fact that people like have whole manufacturing calendars and like yes. promotional calendars yes. and like they're thinking of next Christmas already, right? Yes. Like I'm very just sort of like spontaneous, like, oh, this would be a fun idea. And then I find myself where I am now, which is like, oh, shoot, I should have had something cool to to reveal for the holidays. And I'm just pushing old stuff, which is like not that fun. I don't know, but I kind of just wait for inspiration to strike or like if there's an artist that I really want to work with, sometimes we'll just find something to collaborate on. I also have products that I've like have been on the back burner for years. Like I have a book that I've been waiting like two years to publish and just like haven't gotten it together, you know, cause it's like every day it's like you have your hundred things to do and the urgent things are the ones that are attended to. And um, I mean, I, I, I'm curious to know, like if Kiki Cow Cow were to grow into, in, into success just for the next six months, not like mm-hmm. the ultimate success it will ever achieve, but if it were to keep mm-hmm. progressing, I assume that would be more sales, right? So it's fun. I mean, I, I think it's important, again, as an entrepreneur, you have to like sort of check yourself and be like, what is my barometer for success? Right. And I realized that like, and I know a lot of other small business owners and there is a lot of that pressure like, okay, growth, success means growth. It means right. getting bigger, selling more, right. having more stuff to offer, et cetera. But I realized that that mindset, it's not making me very – I mean, I've been kind of grumpy for the last few months. Really? And I think a lot of it, it's just like – it just feels like a climb, you know? And so I'm trying to be more sensitive to like, okay, well, what would actually give me a more balanced life that I can feel – 
like, yes, this thing is going, it's still modestly profitable, but I, it's also giving me the freedom to, you know, do other things that I want to do and not keeping me up at night. And, but how are you doing that without hiring? (laughs) You have to hire to do Well, I know, right? I have a part-time helper who's lovely, you know, just a few hours a week, but I'm hoping she can take on more in the spring when her son starts school. I, but honestly, I'm thinking I'm just going to like pair back my product selection. Oh, Right now it's like at about 30 things. I'm like, maybe we'll just hone in on the things that do well. A hundred percent. It'll be less money coming in, but it'll also be less work. It'll be fewer boxes all cluttering up my house and like stressing me out. If it really will be less money coming in, because if you reduce to the right products, like yeah. like like if I'm looking at your website, you have several, I mean, I know you won't get rid of the food sets, all of them, because they're all so different, but you have like many different puzzles, many different types of books vehicles. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like, wouldn't somebody just buy something else? <laughs> you know, if you, t- maybe, I mean, like they say, like you can either sell n- new stuff to the same people, right? Like I can keep my audience as it is and mm-hmm. try, like keep coming up with stuff to offer them. Right. Or you can sell the same stuff to new people. So a lot of that hinges basically on the visitor industry here. For example, we used to have a huge, uh, influx of Japanese tourists and those were higher spending. There was, those were like the prize tourists here, but because of COVID and, you know, the economy there and just the rules around quarantining and all of that, that hasn't rebounded yet. So a lot of, you know, how my business and a lot of local businesses kind of ride out the next few years is dependent on that tourist market. Have you gone to toy trade shows with your brand at all? Not with a brand. The only show I went to is at the Astra show in Long Beach that I saw you at. And mm-hmm. I was just kind of there to scope out the territory and see if it's something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And you to have be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, first of all, it's, a, it's an investment, right? you got to right. physically get there. You need yeah. somebody, at least one or two people to help you. You need to like have a setup, your product. I honestly, I'm not sure how... This sounds like stupid, but how ready <laughs> I'm like mainstream America. Like I had thought, oh, you know, people want more diversity in their toys. They want to expose their kids to different global perspectives and whatever. You know, when I go to the continental US, I'm kind of reminded that a lot of it is quite homogenous. Mm. And there are places like California, like New York, Chicago that have, you know, a lot of diversity, but a lot of the country is still you know, not that mixed. And so I'm not, I'm just a little tentative about making that investment and really going for it in and maybe not really being heard. Yeah, maybe it's not. I mean, I'm sure if you went to the show, you might have met some small retailers that you could have a conversation with. I think Mm -hmm. it's, it's worth just having a conversation to say, is this something you would even be interested? Because the Astro community is very close knit. So Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. asking if a handful of small retailers that are a member of that community, you know, what do you think about this brand? Mm -hmm. Here's what it sells like in Hawaii. Yeah, here. I don't know if you have sales data anywhere in the continental US because you said you had a distributor there or you have a distributor. Uh, I don't have a distributor. I have a fulfillment. Oh, a a fulfillment center. And then I get a lot of orders that are just word of mouth. I don't know how they find us. Like in the US? Uh Uh-huh. Interesting. Like website orders. But like, to be honest with you, I had a conversation with someone who like from a Midwest boutique and she was like, I love your stuff, but 
I, I just don't think like diversity doesn't play well in my store. Interesting. I, she was telling me how she had like little Caucasian baby dolls, right? And she got like a couple of black baby dolls to mix in with it. And she said it took like months and months to turn those over. The same thing from another Midwest store owner as well. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. So, <laughs> and of course, you know, America is big. America, yeah. like every state has every its own store is different. Every state is different. But, you know, it was disheartening to be like, oh, wow, I really like, I don't know. So have you thought about, or maybe you have already done this, like focusing on more marketing opportunities that might be free, like getting yourself booked on podcasts or selected for top toys of the year list to drive more sales to your website? I should. I, <laughs> again, like <laughs> I should hire someone to do that stuff for me because yeah. I, yeah. Timing. I, yeah. There's just not enough, you know, and I still have two little kids, but That's... you know, I think that your priorities change, right? When you yeah. have very short time with these little people in your life. You know, like once they're home, I don't get any work done and on the weekends and there are two holidays this week. And I wish I'd started a company in my twenties when I had no dependents, but we are where we are. (laughs) I mean, I hear that people say your kids drive you to do like things you never thought you'd be able to do before. So totally. Right. So maybe you wouldn't have even gotten here. I certainly wouldn't have have had the idea. Right. Well, you know, let me know if you ever want to get on media stuff because we can make that happen. So what, (laughs) what, yeah, (laughs) no, we can. We definitely have done that before. So what is the best piece of advice you would give to somebody listening that might have a really niche idea and they're not Mm. sure it's worth starting? I mean, just start small and test it out within your community, right? Like I, I guess I was lucky in that I had this, big but small local community of people that were sort of ready for this product and and toys in Hawaii had not been updated since probably like the 70s or 80s and I think yeah if you go on if you go on Facebook like sometimes people be like oh I want to write a book about like this sort of special needs issue or I want to create something that serves a pretty niche purpose like that can be awesome but you need to find your people right like you need to hone in and not cast the net too wide or else you'll be disappointed and all of your marketing dollars will be eaten up, like targeting the wrong people. I don't know if that's that. No, I think that's so true. Yeah. I I was, I was not very intentional in growing my business. And so a lot of it happened organically and out of good luck and timing. So one piece of advice that's like different that I would give is to definitely call on experts to fill in the gaps in your knowledge. So I was so excited when I found out that you and your program existed because I was like, oh my God, this is what I need, like a mentor, somebody to answer all my questions. And then you actually guided me to some other industry consultants and professionals who have been really helpful. Even just, you know, I'll just get a list together of questions about manufacturing or about distribution or whatever, and then have a call with one of those people. And it's a worthwhile investment because it gives you peace of mind. It makes you feel like you're not just groping around in the dark, like... Googling your way through everything. Yeah. Google is <laughs> not the, always you... the answer. Not right. always the answer. Yeah. I, I wanted to follow up. So when you first started, you might not realize what you were doing, but you, I guess at the time, a mom in Hawaii, mm-hmm. were you a part of like mom groups or something specific on Facebook or on Instagram um, where you were sharing your A little product? bit. Okay. I'm trying to remember about how I reached out. Honestly, I feel like Instagram was super helpful. But was it um, the hashtags I, or or the companies you were tagging to connect with? 
I don't think I was doing either. Okay. I, it was, I, I, I don't know. I think it was good timing. Like I said, you know, I see so many small businesses launch here and they're creating something that's like very similar to something that exists, but with a little twist, right? right. Like baby clothes or yeah, other locally themed like products, but that exist in a lot of other iterations, iterations are jewelry, for example. And I think, oh my God, like what a huge marketing challenge it is to get that and distinguish yourself, you know, really stand apart from the rest and justify your price point and all that. I honestly feel like I got lucky and that I was just doing something that nobody else was doing. And so there was very little competition there. Um, So as much as you can like be original and, and maybe even niche down to be more specific to your audience rather than trying to be relevant to everybody, I, at least I, for me, it was helpful. I think that for somebody that doesn't get lucky and happen to choose an idea that isn't developed, you should make sure that you're looking at the market and, and just seeing what is the white space. So let's say April mm-hmm. had thought, oh, my kids like love... I don't know, mac and cheese. And I can't find any wooden mac and cheese sets. Like, where are they? You know, let's say she'd done that. And then she would have done some research and said, oh, there's already out there. I'll just buy these. But she could have gone further and said, oh, but there's actually mac and cheese that's specific to our culture. Or there's Mm -hmm. actually like, I don't know, mac and cheese that's specific to our culture designed by people from our culture. Those are like three layers deep that you could go Mm -hmm, deeper and mm -hmm. deeper. So now it's not a a toy company, because first layer is a toy company that produces a specific food wooden puzzle mm-hmm. set. Second layer is mm-hmm. a toy company that produces a specific food wooden puzzle set based around a specific culture. And then next mm-hmm. layer deep is a company that produces all of that by artists that are mm-hmm. from that specific place or culture. Mm-hmm. So I think that's then, what you yeah. did, right? And then what? Also finding the people who can amplify that message on your behalf, right? So one thing I forgot to mention about Instagram is that, you know, I would find, and I still find like micro influencers or people who, you know, like say it's like a multicultural mom in Hawaii who has small children and happens to take cute photos, you know, that's a good person to work with because they're going to create content for you. They're going to share your product with their audience, et cetera, et cetera. So it can, you know, you can sort of expand your, your reach that way. How did you find them and what did you do and how much did it cost you? Like, tell us that process. You just waste hours and hours of your life on Mm -hmm. social media. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I haven't even begun to tap like YouTube, like because I personally am not a YouTuber, but once in a while I'll go on and I'll be like, oh my God, there are all these like yeah. kids who just play and other kids watch them playing with toys or like these mm-hmm. families who people watch their vlogs all day. And those are great people for, you know, for sharing your product. And I just haven't even gone down that rabbit hole. But if you, you know, have the time to invest into it, and then like anything, it's a numbers game. You reach out to a bunch of people and offer what you can offer, whether it's free product or or payment or whatever. And then you see who who bites and try to go from there. And that's what you did. You would just reach out first email, say, hey, I have this amazing product. Would love to get a shout out on your 
Instagram for an exchange of money or more product. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not very systematic. It's more like I'll just encounter someone or something. Like a, a couple of days ago, I saw a book advertised on Instagram that I was like, oh, that would pair well with this other product that we have. Like, let's do a giveaway together. And oh. she was like, sure. Great idea. Like, and yeah. So other small businesses sort of helping each other out, especially if it's like an adjacent but non-competing product. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to, you know, to get more eyeballs on your stuff. How much of that did you do early on? Was it like every month? How often would you do that? It was not, it was not organized, (laughs) Michelle. It was just like when the mood struck, (laughs) when I happened upon some, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. (laughs) It's so funny. Oh my gosh. So what about- I should be like an art teacher in middle school. No. (laughs) Did you make that decision on whether or not you were going to change your name? Because I know you played around with the idea of changing Kiki Cow Cow. I thought you meant my name. No. Um, You know what? It's funny. I applied for a trademark for the other brand that I told you about and I like secured the Instagram, but then I just like got too busy doing stuff for Kiki Cow Cow. So it hasn't happened yet. And to be honest, like- like you say, like you need money to make money, right? People say, if you really want to grow in big ways, you need to take on investment or borrow money or whatever. And as I think back to like, what is going to make my life less stressful, not more stressful? I don't think owing anyone money or like spending other people's money is going to bring you take any stress from me. I feel like I just don't like the idea of being in that position for now, at least. And so I'm just kind of taking it slow and not, not freaking out about it. Yeah. Not trying to like make it happen. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So the last question I want to ask from you is what toy blew your mind as a kid? So I was obsessed with American Girl dolls, which at back in my day, there were like five dolls. They were all based on like historical American periods. They all had their matching books. I remember I like blew through the books in like one week, all of the books. There are five books, I think, per girl. And then they had this catalog that was like my Bible. Like <laughs> I would just pour through this catalog of like and this ex- like uber expensive yeah. doll stuff. But I did end up getting over a series of Christmases. I got a Samantha and an Addie. Wow. And then like, and then they had like a make your own, which I did. And looking back, she looked, she was kind of like the Hawaiian standard of beauty, which is funny. She had like long, like puffy hair and darker skin. And I was like, oh, that's interesting that I chose that. But I, you know, I love the stories and I loved that there was that interplay of like the reading and the characters. And I honestly retain more American history from those books than like wow. from actual school, I think. <laughs> but yeah, and and it's funny. I think I told you before, my mom at the time, she was like, when you grow up, you should like do something like, like create a company like that. I was like, okay, like, wow, <laughs> let's be real. And like, obviously I'm a tiny one person company now, but I do feel like it's sort of, there's a sort of, you know, echo of that in what I do now and this creating products that sort of reflect the, diversity of America. And that's Mm. what American Girl was at the time. And and it's, you know, it's kind of grown into something more massive than that today. But but yeah, it's kind of funny how things come full circle. That's amazing. Okay, American Girl dolls check. Got it. (laughs) Oh, April, thanks for coming on the podcast today and sharing your toy story with us. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for providing so many resources for people like me who are just trying to figure it out. Yes, my pleasure. All right, take care. Well, there you have it, toy people, my interview with April Hale of Kiki Cow Cow. What I hope you take away from this episode is this, the riches are in the niches, as they say. 
There is a lot of value in even really niche toy brands or toy companies. What you've got to do is pare down and really get to know your ITM or ideal target market to help you develop a strong following behind your brand. If you love this podcast and you haven't already left a review, what are you waiting for? I get a note on my phone every time a new review comes through and it keeps me motivated and inspired to keep coming back week after week with great solo episodes and interview episodes to tell you all about making it in the toy industry. So wherever you are right now listening to this podcast, I would love it if you would scroll down, look for where you can leave a review and leave an amazing review for this podcast. As always, thank you so much for joining me here today. I know there are a ton of podcasts out there, so it truly means the world to me that you tune into this one. Until next week, I'll see you later, toy people. Thanks for listening to Making It in the Toy Industry podcast with Ajel Wade. Head over to thetoycoach.com for more information, tips, and advice. Hey, Are you an aspiring toy inventor or toy entrepreneur? Then you should check out Toy Creators Academy, the first of its kind online program designed to help you develop and pitch your toy ideas. Head over to toycreatorsacademy.com to learn more.